Hi, welcome to the Artificial Intelligence, Machine Learning and Data Science Weekly Podcast. My name is Kwan Hong, or you can call me KH. In this show, I'll be talking to AI, ML and data science practitioners around the region. In each episode, I will dive into relevant and interesting AI, ML topics, where you get to know more about topics ranging from AI, ML adoption, best practices, and tips and tricks to be a better AI, ML data science practitioner. Hi, welcome to another episode of AI, ML and Data Talk podcast. In today's episode, after a long hiatus, I'm super excited to have Professor Dr. Kamaru Imran Musa, who is a professor in statistics and epidemiology in University Science Malaysia or USM as a guest for the show. Hi, Professor Kim. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, hi, Dr. Kesh. How are you? You all right? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So as a, as a subtitle of the show that normally I would just uh, ask the guest to do a self-introduction. So maybe you can talk something about your childhood, your education, and also maybe just introduce to the guest, to the, to the, uh, to the listener, your career path. All right. Okay. Uh, so uh, my full name is uh, Kamarul Imran Musa. But I think it's, it's a long name, so I prefer people calling me Kim, K-I-M, and it is much easier. And that's what people have been calling me since my, uh, my teenage life, so-called teenage life. Lah. Right, so actually I was born in, in Kelantan, Pasimas, uh, almost 50 years ago, or 50 years ago, exactly, all right? And, and, uh, and my secondary school, I went to uh, a boarding school, Tengku, Sekolah Tengku Muhammad Faris Petra. And then uh, after that, I did my matriculation, two years matriculation that time, one year at Sungai Patani and one, uh, another year at University of Science Malaysia Penang. And then um, I uh, continued my study in medicine where I did my medical degree at the uh, School of Medical Sciences, University of Science Malaysia, which is in Kuban Kerang, Kelantan, not in Penang, right? <laughs> not in Penang, right? And um, and then I went uh, to um, I went into um, uh, and I worked as medical doctor for three years. Uh, before I said to myself, "That's enough. Three years is uh, too long for me, and there's too many meetings at uh, Ministry of Health." Uh, that's when I resigned from Ministry of Health and and went uh, and um, got myself into School of Medical Sciences as training lecturer. Did my uh, Master of Community Medicine, which uh, was a four-year master program, so in epidemiology and statistics, um, and then um, and I I started teaching from two thousand uh, two oh until two to ten before I decided to embark uh, and do my PhD. And I did uh, my PhD at Lancaster University uh, in epidemiology and, st- and statistics. So and then I came back and continued my, uh, my job at University of Science Malaysia School of Medical Sciences as uh, an epidemiologist, as an epidemiologist and or statistician. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, that's so is. So it's quite interesting because uh, you actually you know, shifted yourself from a medical uh, officer as a doctor, and then you actually went and you know, shifted to become a, a epidemiologist yeah. and did a yeah. PhD in statistics. I always wonder what's the difference between uh, what, because I said I see in your profile that you are you study something like bio statistics, then you have a degree a PhD in uh, epidemiology. 
So what's the difference between biostatistics bio or medical statistics and uh, epidemiology, actually? Right. So epidemiology is a branch of, uh, of public health. Okay, a public health. Uh, there is a branch called epidemiology. So epidemiology is the study is study of uh, distributions of diseases, and what um, you know what are the factors that you know uh, give rise to that uh, distributions, and also the applications of that knowledge to control and prevent diseases. So that is uh, the definitions of epidemiology. Whereas biostatistics is a branch of statistics where uh, in biostatistics, the statistics deal mostly with, um, with medical or health or other biological sciences. So, um, and, and so, uh, but currently there is, you know, uh, or maybe for the past, um, I think 10, 15 years, there, there have been overlapping between uh, epidemiology and, and statistics. So uh, sometimes it's, it's quite difficult to, to differentiate the two. But I, I would say that, you know, epidemiology is a branch of public health where we study distributions of disease. And biostatistics is a branch of statistics where we do statistics in fields related to biology. Yeah. Okay. Oh, right. interesting. But I, 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 like I, like you said, I see that a lot of people who actually see that overlapping because definitely in the uh, in the epidemiologies, you actually need to have some sort of medical mathematical modeling or statistical background to actually you know to, uh, uh, study the, the 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 distribution of disease in the public health. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So in epidemiology, we use um, statistical modeling. And also mathematical modeling because you know statistics deals with with uncertainty, you know, randomness, and 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 math mathematics is uh, is what what we call as uh, um, th there is no uh, um, I I might offend mathematician here, so <laughs> please forgive me, <laughs> but you know math is about. Uh, it's about, I forgot the term, uh, but statistics is about stochasticity and randomness. Mathematics is not about that. And in epidemiology, we use math, math, mathematical modeling, we use statistical modeling, and we use also epidemiological modeling. All right. So, um, yeah, uh, so that is uh, where math and statistics um, are used in epidemiology. Okay. So I think now with the current pandemic or now we are in the endemic phase of uh, this COVID-19, I think epidemiologists is a field that everybody will look into because you actually study how a, a, a disease is actually, you know, actually spread in the community. Right, is yeah. What, what a normal epidemiologist will do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, epidemiology has been around for hundreds of years or maybe thousands of years. Uh, I think the earliest... Uh, modern epidemiology uh, um, can be uh, attributed to uh, John Snow, who uh, who studied cholera uh, in in London, you know, and 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 after that, you know, people uh, you know sort of uh, forgot about epidemiology until this pandemic, when, when people say, oh, okay, actually there is a branch of medicine of public health epidemiology where there are. Uh, epidemiologists who do models about infectious disease, 
and, and try to understand disease and and in a way covid-19 pandemic has been good for us lah in terms of you know in terms of promotion <laughs> before that people say who who are epidemiologists right um but now uh, people uh, appreciate epidemiologists more people understand what epidemiologists do uh, more and i think that has been uh, good in a way lah you know for 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 us yeah so i think uh, those people who actually study i think joel snow is a very classic example i think he can he can be classified as the first data scientist eh? he actually has a very systematic studies how how the disease actually cholera spread in london and then he actually found that the the source of the disease is actually from the contaminated water source I think correct, from correct, the yeah. way the from the way he evaluated the, the, the data and then from the way he did the data analysis, yeah. I think he can be classified as the first data scientist. First data scientist, like you know, data driven, right? <laughs> data driven yeah. decision. You know, he, yeah. he 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 took data, walk around, uh, what we call shoeless epidemiology, because uh, he used his uh, wearing shoes and then walk from houses to houses, taking data and collected data, analyze data, and then see whether you know uh, the incidence of uh, cholera was high in this area or that area and and actually, yeah i mean you, you are very you are very correct to say that he might be the first you know, modern data scientist perhaps yeah. <laughs> okay so back to the epidemiologist uh, so let's take the context of covid so what does the role uh, of an epidemiologist play nowadays for example like can you explain like what kind of data that uh, you are look you will look into and then what is the insight and then or what kind of decision that you can actually you know they actually make from uh, from the data that you collected from this right. uh, epidemiologist yeah i mean if you talk about or if you focus on covid-19 um there are you know data that maybe i can classify as data that we used to diagnose uh, covid-19 number 2 a data that we used to um um strategize the uh, treatment for COVID-19 patients and number three data that can help the policymakers to make uh, the policy. So um, for example, myself when uh, in, in the uh, during pandemic, uh, myself and our team look at the uh, COVID-19 cases, the number of cases, confirmed cases, we look also at the number of deaths, the number of population at risk and by using those data, we can do some projections looking at what what would be the possible number of uh, new infections? What would be the possible number of deaths due to COVID-19 and whatnot? That would be the, uh, the use of data uh, to project the trend of a pandemic. But there are also uh, people who are looking at data in treating patients. For example, uh, there have been people who look at uh, the number of hospitalizations, the number of variables uh, that you know predict uh, patients who are at risk of death or complication during hospitalizations. There are people who look at the uh, chest X-ray images and try to to diagnose uh, whether this uh, or that X-ray belongs to COVID nineteen uh, or you know to di to diagnose COVID nineteen based on the X-ray. And there are also people who work with data, um, looking at the uh, you know looking at how data can change the policy. For example, you know, do we need to 
you know, relax the uh, movement control order, for example? Where can uh, we relax the movement control order? Where can we identify hotspots? Uh, where, which, where are the places should we close down? You know, things like that. Uh, so uh, there are, you know, so I can I can say that, or I can classify or categorize the use of data during pandemic to one projection of diseases, diseases and trends. Number two, treatment and management of patients. And number three is uh, uh, ass assisting in the policy uh, for uh, for the government. Yeah. Okay. So I think during the pandemic, we were always. You know, during the, the briefing from the government, they always tell, tell us about the coverage of R0. Yeah. So is, that, is that part of the, uh, the work of the epidemiologists? Yeah, yeah. That, that is part of our work, which is very important at the early part of, of pandemic or any epidemic or any outbreak. Because, because once, when uh, there is a new pandemic at that time, I mean, imagine, you know, uh, January or February 2020, when uh, we listen to uh, a new case, uh, new new cases of COVID nineteen. We at that time we're not sure whether it's going to be pandemic or not, right? So that's the role of uh, mathematician and epidemiologist to to calculate the possible magnitude of infection. So we use R naught or the or the reproduction number to say, okay, uh, if this happen or if the value of R is this, then the number of people who are going to be infected will be like this. The number of death will be like this. So, um, so we will do a few simulations, maybe three or four simulations to see that, okay, the, the worst case scenario, we will end like this. The most optimistic scenario, we will end like this. And then we'll bring our model to, to, the, uh, to the government or to the uh, policymaker, and they will decide what will be you know, uh, the best uh, plan of actions uh, to take, yeah. So the higher R0 means the higher the risk, that means the, the easier for the disease to be uh, to be transmitted. Is that, yeah. is that how the R0, okay? Right, yeah, the R0 is the, the R0 is the basic reproduction number, which is, which means that how easy uh, the infection uh, can be transmitted from one person to another person. But there are also other uh, reproduction number because R naught is the basic reproduction number. It means that what would the transmission rate, uh, what, what would be the transmission rate if we do nothing? You know, we just let the, uh, the infection, uh, you know, um, uh, transmit from one person to one person without we do any intervention. But there is also what we call as time varying reproduction number or RT, which depends on uh, our intervention. For example, our MCO, vaccination and all that. So, uh, so RT, the time varying reproduction number is the transmission when there are other intervention, you know, that might change the, the, the transmissions uh, uh, rate. Okay. So I think all this come into play. So I think in Malaysia, we where we have this uh, MySejatra app, they actually play an important role because it just collect a lot of data. I think all this data, because during the during the pandemic, it's like it's so troublesome. Wherever you go, you have to scan this the QR code. But it's also helped to collect all the data necessary for the epidemiologists to actually calculate all this. Like you say the R naught and RT, then it can actually help the government to actually make a better decision whether to to actually. Or open up more hospital 
or to to actually lengthen the uh, the the period for the MCO and also to whether to allow to open schools or whatever. I think that that is that is part of the <laughs> the data collection that my central has contributed. Yeah, yeah, cash. That is you know that is very true. I mean we needs data and epidemiologists needs data, especially uh, uh, um, um, epidemiologists who are, uh, you know, uh, who are doing modeling, you know, uh, and we need data and also important, we need good data, you know, <laughs> remember rubbish in, rubbish out, garbage in, garbage out. So we need to have good data. Um, so that's why um, um, at the early part of pandemic, we you know, always talk to a Minister of Health to say that, okay, we, you, must, you, know, you must make sure that data that you take uh, are good quality data, reliable data, valid data. That, that's number one. Um, and, and, and number two, um, if uh, you, know, you, you have good data, you, you have to know what you, are going to, what you are going to do with the data, you know? Um, there are many models at the early part or at the early stage of pandemic, I think in 2020. And we can, we can see even some models that show the, the rise of uh, COVID-19 and, and then suddenly the, the COVID-19 number go, goes down and should reach zero, you know? And that's, I think in fact, in Malaysia, we saw that. And, and I, 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 I remember telling my friend that, you know, I don't believe it doesn't make sense that, you know, COVID-19 will reach zero. zero. And, and uh, so uh, I'm sorry if my friends from Ministry of Health are, are angry with me. <laughs> but I think this is podcast and, and it is very, very important to, to you know, to, to tell uh, what uh, we feel. Uh, and, and so I think that was um, in... June or July, when uh, we expected that the number of COVID-19 would reach zero sometime in September, I think. And, and suddenly, it did not become zero, but actually it became worse, you know. So, uh, so number one, we need data. Number two, we need to use the proper method or uh, the right modeling uh, approach uh, or algorithm to, to analyze the data. Yeah. And number three, of course, what people would do with the results of the of the model and the data, you know, uh, whether they are whether they are they are they, they listen to us or they say, you know, we don't believe your model, we don't believe your data, you know, <laughs> and, right? I, I think I think the the model that predict that COVID will become zero is one of the one of the, one of the thinking behind the herd com, uh, the herd immunity. You know? They said that, that once uh, more and more people got infected, then they will build the natural you know, antibody system and then you said that people get immune but then they forgot that uh, this virus is very smart and then you start to get mutation and correct we have, we have omicron and we have other things that are coming in. yeah yeah and yeah that, i think that that's, that's that's what's happening now where uh, where we start to see that uh, covid is never going to be away a, a it's never going to reach zero and we have to now adapt our life to live with this virus correct correct yeah and and in fact i think because this might be in epidemiology. We might we call this as propagated um, transmissions. It means that uh, the 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 COVID nineteen will be here for many many years, and there will be times that it will uh, peak. You know, there might be uh, a few times. I'm not sure whether a few times a year or maybe once in every few years that you know it's gonna 
increase uh, for maybe uh, two or three times and then go down again. I mean, like we are having, uh, like we are, you know, we see now HFMD, you know, uh, and sometimes uh, dengue, you know, it's always there and sometimes it goes just really like high. Flu, just like a flu cycle. Yeah, yeah correct. It's a flu season, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so I think we could expect that it's going not going to be flat. It's going to be once it's why it's gonna it's gonna flare up and many more people get uh COVID nineteen. That will go down. That that's how. That's the natural of of pandemic. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Another thing that I'm very curious about, uh, uh, Doctor Kim, where where is your interest in statistics coming? Because normally people who actually went into um, a medical is because they like to memorize, <laughs> they like to memorize <laughs> a term. That's why they said that's why I become a doctor because I'm very good at mem memorizing things. I'm not very good at understanding. I'm not very good at most mathematics because I yeah. need to understand it. So where where is your interest of statistics come from? Because what if you are interested to be a statistician, then why do you went into medical at the, at the first place? Yeah. Uh... I think because and I remember, um, you know, uh, when uh, you know uh, after I joined public health, it, it, it was like um, in early two thousand, right? Early two thousand, and I, at that time I joined, uh, I was interested in public health, and then only after that I realized that there are other branches in public health, and one of them is the epidemiology one. So that's uh, where I say, oh man, I think I'm I, I'm interested in epidemiology because I like to to uh, to see what factors that make people uh, you know at risk for certain disease. You know what are the variables that that you know that are predictive of this kind of disease. You know, um, so um, and whether I like it or not, I need to use statistics for that. There is no running away from that. So, um, so um, that's how you know I uh, I use lots of statistics, applied statistics actually, and in 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 epidemiology uh, to model you know uh, the risk factors and understand what are the risk factors that are related with certain uh, disease. Yeah. But I see as a as a as actually for any medical officer as a doctor as a physician, you also have some you also have some have to have some kind of knowledge of basic statistics because because when you when you see a patient you must actually know that what is the chances or what's the probability of this patient diagnosed of this disease based on this gender or based on this age group then you will not recommend him to go further but you probably say this is not something serious. But I, I, I think a normal physician will have a sound basic kind of statistical uh, thinking, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, correct. Uh, yes, we do have, have that. Even in, 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 in medical curriculum, we do have statistics component uh, during our undergraduate study. Uh, but I would say that it, it is not as much as what computer science students are learning and uh, of course not as much as math and statistics students are learning lah. Uh, but definitely less what uh, you guys computer science students are, <laughs> are learning so uh, so that's where you know when we you know um, that's but you know in if i'm not mistaken in some other countries now they are incorporating things like you know more statistics more 
more AI, more uh, machine learning approaches in in the undergraduate uh, study. Not yet in Malaysia, lah. That, that what I would say, lah. Yeah, I think I think also because uh, I don't know a lot of uh, students in Malaysia they are very afraid of science, Correct. and very mathematics. Well, well, why why do you think that that's a problem? <laughs> from your from your from your uh, background as a, a medical doctor and also yeah. now as a statistician. I think now I might anger teachers. La. <laughs> I, I think I might anger teachers. I think uh, because I think my opinion and that also happened to me, we uh, we are not making uh, or we don't make uh, learning uh, mathematics and statistics fun. Uh, I think we are teaching our students to memorize rather than understanding that, you know, mathematics and, and statistics uh, are not about memorizing, but understanding the problems and how to solve the, the, the problems. You know, uh, there's there's no one way of 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 uh, what we call um, finding the solution for uh, for statistics, for example. There are multiple ways, right? And yet, our our secondary students, when when they answer questions, they must answer like what they are being taught, right? I mean, if you deviate a bit, even though your, your answer is correct, you still will be penalized. I think that's... Sorry, teachers. If you are, if you are angry. I, I, I do agree with you because I also come from an academic background. I work, I, I work as an academician for 15 years. Mm. And then in computer science, we also need to... The student, as, a, as an undergraduate student, they need to learn a lot of calculus. They need to learn a lot of mathematics. Yeah. But don't, but the, 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 so so uh, like you said, I also will anger a lot of uh, <laughs> <laughs> mathematics lecturer. They were too applied. They were too uh, more uh, theoretical when they teach mathematics to the computer science students. Until the student cannot even imagine how they're going to use this in their in their in the career in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when they do AI, then realize that calculus is so important, and then then they have to, and then they were they were like, okay, how come I didn't pay much attention during my my calculus lectures in my UCD time, and then why why I don't uh, I don't like that that class, but but actually it's very important in yeah. especially the field of AI and machine learning actually. Yeah. So I, I think. think, what, I think yeah, yeah, so I yeah, think what, what people need to do is actually teach more applied. How let them see how is it how the 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 the, the or mathematics is being applied to solve real problems mm. instead of just theory, uh, teaching the theoretical part. Yeah, there, there's always an argument like between you know those group of people who say that no no we must follow this traditional teaching you know uh, you know teach all the theory no application at all. But there's also, also people who say, you know, teach all about application, don't forget about all the theory. So this is, I think, uh, this is a challenge where we should meet, you know, to, to, to uh, balance, you know, between adequate uh, theory and adequate application, right? Yeah. It's, 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 it's not easy, lah. we say, right, Kesh, what do you think? Yeah, it's actually finding the middle middle path is very important. Too yeah. much of theory is also very boring, and too much application. Then they will say that you you don't understand the fundamentals. Correct, <laughs> correct, correct, correct. Yeah, I think that's always an argument. Yeah. So uh, my my next uh, thing that I'm very curious is: uh, Do you think that uh, medical student that because like you said is 
when you when you when you become a, a medical doctor, you find it uh, it's very difficult. And then uh, recently, the recent news that uh, in Malaysia is uh, we have a lot of news that uh, there's a lot of bullying case in the for these household doctors and all these practical doctors. Do you think mm. that the system now uh, uh, that there's a uh, there's a problem in the system or where the, there's it's actually making the, the, the doctor are lacking the interest because they have to spend so much of uh, effort to become a, a doctor bef before they become a doctor. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, being a doctor is about saving life, right? So that's one thing that we cannot compromise. Yeah. It's not, we are not dealing with cars. We are not dealing with machines because if we, uh, you know, uh, we are, you know, we repair cars. If something happened, you know, the the only the cars will be affected. Even though the person who driving gonna can can die also, right? Because of our negligence. So I I would say that, you know, uh, being a doctor because there is huge responsibility since you are dealing with people's life. Uh, that's where um, we are very very uh, strict with. Um, with uh, training, you know, that's that's why even though we spend five years at the medical schools, we need to spend another two years as housemanship so that, you know, uh, after, uh, you are, or the houseman are properly guided by the, by the specialist. And I would say, yeah, it, it's, it is stressful uh, period during the two years where you have to work on call, you have to you know, uh, forget about taking leaves and all that. Uh, and and worse, if you are doing medicine because your parents ask you to do. <laughs> and not because you are interested, okay? <laughs> not because you're interested, because, because your parents say, you know, you must be a doctor and uh, by hook or by crooks, you know, you must graduate. So, and we have seen, we have seen, uh, even myself, seen brilliant students who did well during uh, secondary school, who did well even during medical school, but they actually don't like uh, being a doctor. So, yeah, parents, <laughs> you know, <laughs> be careful of, your, of what you wish, okay? <laughs> don't make your child live, live out your, your dream. <laughs> correct, correct. Of course, there are certain students who, who, are, you know, who are, can, you know, like uh, brief through this this period, you know, and and still become a doctor, but there have been some quote unquote casualties lah along the way, kan? So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I think in, in, in any profession the same. Uh, if you are if you are if you are doing something that is not your passion, you'll be a suffering for you. <laughs> you right, right. So I think, uh, but the problem is a lot of uh, our students nowadays, even though they are already, you know. Uh, 18 years old after they finish from five they still do not know what they want you know i think maybe because of exposure or maybe because of not 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 really know what they want or not mature enough so they, they were just been told by the parents or by the friends like, well, okay just go and do this and then then in the middle halfway they found out that that's not something what they yeah. want yeah maybe you know maybe because you no know, we 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 don't train our students you know our secondary student for example to think about the future we always Ask them to memorize it. <laughs> you have to memorize the formula. You have to memorize this formula. Not that, okay, think about what you're going to do like five years from now, you know. What will be the solutions? How, you, how, how are you going to solve 
this problem using what you are learning now. It's, it's all about, you know, memorizing this, this formula and that formula. If you are doing biology, memorizing all the, you know, uh, all the chemicals uh, and, uh, and hormones and whatnot, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I see the same problem for like like for now the hype of become a data scientist. A lot of, a lot of people say, oh, the data scientist is so happening. And you, you get to dabble with data, you get to do mm. a lot of AI model, but then they, they see they see the, the 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 glamour part, but they don't see that actually you're dealing with a lot of data. You become you, you spend much of your time cleaning data, you do a lot, of, you know, you, you just to clean all the data. So as people say you 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 might look like a rock star as a data scientist. But in fact, that you are just a data janitor. You're doing cleaning all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true. Yeah, and and, and uh, I think it's worse in in, in medical health because our data are so so you know so, so much variations in in medical health data. The way that we we collect data because uh, in certain fields, data comes from machines or comes from uh, you know. Um, some automatic device that capture the, the data. But in medical, we use people. People must capture data, you know. For example, doctors will uh, ask, okay, how's your BP today? Then they, they use the palm and take the BP. And then they ask, okay, how's your pain score today? And then they will, there's some kind of subjectivity into that. And that's when it goes, to, uh, when all this data goes into, into your, into your, into your database and whatnot. There, there's so much variations. Uh, so that, I think that is a challenge when, when we are talking about uh, data in health and medicine because of large variations. And sometimes when we talk to industry, industry think that data in medicine is, you know, it's like nice, beautiful, you know, not much variations. But when, when they see the real data, they say, well, <laughs> it's, it's so, unpredictable so much variations we need to like you say uh, we need to spend lots of time cleaning uh, our, our data yeah so so just back to the statement just now you said that uh, being a medical doctor that's why you have to go through the uh, long period of uh, the uh, training period and yeah it's, a, it's, it's very strenuous and then it's very tough uh, because whenever you make a, every single decision is very important because that actually affects somebody's life so, yeah. but but do you think because of that that's why until today AI have not been able to fully replace the decision making from a professional a physician yeah I think that is also a very true statement because of that uh, um, because of that um, limitations all right uh, so people are very scared to use uh, AI to to help or to assist or to, or to complement physician in making decisions. Um, even, though, even though I think sometimes they, uh, what they, they, they shouldn't be that scared, you know? Um, uh, however, that's what, what I can see, you know? Because if you're too scared and you are limiting yourself from AI, it's, it's, it's just like, oh, AI is so dangerous. It is not ethical and whatnot. So you are depriving yourself from this technology. You know? I think what we should do is to, to encourage uh, uh, 
the use of AI, the study, the research of AI. And I think one important thing, one important thing that I see, especially in Malaysia, uh, in comparison to China or to Korea or to United, uh, to US or, or UK, is that we, if we want to uh, advance our own AI in health and medicine, I'm speak, uh, talking about specifically in health and medicine, is to, uh, to work is to work closely between the academia, the research, and also the industry. Because industry has got the, the technology, the academia or the physician has got the understanding of the disease process. And, and you we, we must you know, come together and, 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 and work on this uh, AI uh, technology. Yeah. Complement each other. Yeah, complement each other and see whether uh, the model works on in our in our environment or in our situation because it might be different from what uh, the model behaves in China or how the model behaves in Korea. Mm -hmm. I, I, I recently I've been reading that the book by Daniel Kaiman, which is Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. Mm. So I think uh, I think that uh, in the book they said that uh, because of human cognitive bias, we are very still you know not comfortable that uh, uh, there's an algorithm that actually make decision about our health. But actually, based on the statistics, they actually found that actually a lot of time algorithm now are quite good and then it's able to help the, the physician or the radiologist whatever, to actually detect certain area or certain scan then where the physician or the doctor has a subject matter expert, they can complement and then act on that, uh, the, the, the viable decision from the AI system, then they can actually come up with a better decision actually. Yeah, true. I think, I, I think I give you one example. For example, in one of my research, now I'm working with, um, with uh, mammogram images, right? And, and so we, we know that, you know, um, in more in papers that we have reviewed, um, even though a few a few papers show that the AI can be as good or even a little even better than radiologists to diagnose uh, breast cancer, but in uh, in majority of papers still uh, found that uh, the performance of radiologists are a bit better than than AI. However, in my opinion, we can use AI. Even before that, you know, when when in, in Malaysia, for example, people don't see or don't go for mammograms as frequent as what women uh, are doing uh, in the United States, for example. You know, they are very slow at going for mammogram, for example. So what we are going to do, what we how AI can help is AI can help during screening. You know, when they see when uh, this patient first sees stuffnesses they do mammograms and then that at that point ai can you know we can use ai to say that okay whether this mammogram is high is is predictive of abnormal mammograms or normal mammograms so that you know we can quickly refer these patients to radiologists or to clinicians you know as first part of as the screening uh, mechanism rather than diagnostic mechanism mm -hmm. so so by doing that we can save time because you know uh, it's not easy to call radiology okay come come and see you know uh, every time you have to call radiologists to see mammograms right and now we can do like you know a lot of mammograms get ai to uh, to 
you know, to make prediction based on this. And then we say, okay, oh, this we need to refer to radiology as soon as possible. So I think that's one of the um, way of how to interpret uh, AI during screening. If you are, if you are worried lah, to, to use AI to diagnose, then use for, for screening. So we have, uh, you know, other safety nets, uh, you know, to, to, to help us here. Yeah. Yeah, I do agree with you. A lot of uh, countries that are actually using AI as a part of the early screening process. So yeah. to speed up all this screening process. So, but but why why do you think it's still not implemented in Malaysia? Yeah, yeah. Why this not implemented in Malaysia? <laughs> I, I wish no. Uh, I wish <laughs> I wish we AI uh, move faster in Malaysia. I think maybe maybe one possibility is that because of the structure of. Uh, Oh, has system in, in Malaysia because uh, the health system in Malaysia is governed by the Ministry of Health, you know. So um, each hospital cannot make uh, their own decision. I mean, they can, but you know, uh, but most of the time they have to rely on the on the uh, on the uh, state health department or the pengara or the top management to see whether they can use AI or not, right? So they don't have that in, they don't have enough authority to review different AI. And they don't have enough authority to say that, okay, I want to use this AI because it looks very good because you still have to, you know, follow the, uh, uh, what we call this SOP and, and policy on how to uh, engage with uh, with you know this company or vendors or whatnot. So I think that might be one possible reason. Mm -hmm. uh, if if you talk about, if you take USA for example, I think each hospital has its own authority, and they can make their own decision. They can you know purchase AI system from vendors. I think so they have you know much bigger authority compared to uh, what we see in Malaysia. I think that might be one possible reason. Lah. Mm -hmm. so, so do you think uh, if, if a university work together with the hospital, doing all this pilot AI program with the hospital, and then showcase that uh, there, is a, there is a good uh, uh, pilot project that you can actually showcase that it works, then, then maybe the ministry can see the benefit and, and then can actually have this direction for the whole country. I think that's something that's doable, isn't it? Yeah, that is, that is very, very uh, uh, important uh, advice. Okay, uh, I think if you work, of course, you can show data from overseas, you know, like other hospitals in overseas, the, you know, from Korea, from China. But it, it's, all, it's always better to show the performance of that same system or algorithm or, or AI perform in Malaysia and how to do that is to collaborate with the university, do a small scale study. And so when you, when we go to the Ministry of Health, then we can show, okay, uh, we have done this, you know, collaboration with uh, this university or that university or that hospital, this hospital, and these are our results. Okay. So I think that will convince uh, the uh, top management at the ministry um, or the uh, private hospital uh, management to, to sort of um, adopt or adapt the, 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 the AI. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so uh, I think I have my uh, my next question is uh, now we have used a lot of universities now actually producing a lot of uh, data scientists where they have a data science program. Uh, but I, I would think that there are students who, are, who want to become a data scientist, but they want to apply data science in the medical field. So do you think that uh, if I'm a data scientist that I'm interested in the medical field, but I don't, I'm not a me medical doctor, do you think that there is a, there's a path for me to work in the medical field with, uh, or, or do I need to become like a epidemiologist? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I um, I always believe that you know um, data science is 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 big, and in, in data science itself, you can focus on the uh, you know data science is economics or econometrics or data science is in business. Yep. Data science. There. Yes. So there is also a domain data yep. science in medicine and health. Yep. Which is I think under understudied and underutilized or underdeveloped in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. So uh, because when if you remember if you use that, if you if you if you want to use data from medical and health that data that comes from hospital comes from uh, you know from lab medical labs and whatnot you have to understand a bit about diseases about um, risk factors and whatnot. So we have to have uh, uh, you know programs that that you know provide this informations when they learn about data science. In, I have never seen this yet in Malaysia. I I, I think I mentioned to you before that I, I was trying to propose this to to um to some people to you know to uh to branch data science into health and medicine you, know? you you have data science data science master of data science for example and why not you have master of data science bracket health and medicine where you spend maybe six months uh, i think six months at least lah, six months where you do your project really focusing on health and, and medical data and okay. maybe understand a little bit about the types of medical health data and what are the common uh, diseases or, or health problems uh, in, 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 health, in, in medicine. Yeah. Okay, so maybe after this show, maybe they have more interest on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wish, I wish, I wish it could happen because I've seen, I've seen this yep. in uh, overseas, you know, they, they got this... Uh, uh, specialization, yeah. I think so, and and so yeah. Who knows? Yeah, I I think based on what you are doing, you are from medical, then you become an epidemiologist. I think there are people who are in computer science or maybe data science. They want to be, you know, in data science, they're scientists in the medical field. I think now, if you want to be, you if you want to be a data scientist in the medical field. What you can do if you don't have the, uh, the, uh, the domain knowledge of medical, you have to find a subject matter expert, which is a physician or doctor, to work together. Then you can do the modeling. Then you need to consult the doctor to, to verify your model. I think that's the only way you can do it. If Correct. Not, yeah. yeah. Uh, at the same time, when you do your project, you know, during your, your for example, during your study, or maybe you're finding your project, or during your six month uh, you know uh, project uh, for your master of data science then you 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 get first hand experience working uh, looking at at data at the hospital and how you get data from hospital how you clean this this data how does it how this data differ from 
uh, data you see on Kaggle, for example, you know, or, or on on other open source data, you know, they are very different, um, and they, they are different, they are unique, you know. So um, by doing that, then you are saying you will have uh, more understanding of what kind of uh, algorithm modeling or methods that you want to use when you deal with uh, medical health data yeah <laughs> okay so uh the, the uh, so my last question is uh, if, if i want to be like you a, a medical statistician or epidemiologist what are the right. tips or advice that you can give to be a successful medic medical statistician or epidemiologist all right. Um, I mean, I, I think the, the, I, I would answer the questions uh, for two groups. One from the medical background, those who have a medical degree, then I think my suggestion is for you to uh, further your study. It means that after you finish your housemanship and then you uh, do uh, your medical officer um medical officer posting for maybe one or two years and after the after that you must quickly choose uh, the right um, postgraduate degree they want to do if you want to do something uh, related to epidemiology then you can do master of epidemiology uh, and if you are really interested in uh, data science then you can do maybe master of data science i mean you can do that, but you have to understand that you need to get your, you know, you may, you have to make sure that your calculus, your your math are, are good. Okay, right. That's for the uh, people from medical degree background. If you are not from medical degree background, uh, you can do master epidemiology. Epidemiology, you can, still can do that. Or you can do master of health informatics, um, or you, you you know you can do a master of data science, for example, and try to uh, try to do research or your project on things related to uh, medicine and, and 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 health. I think that would be that would be my advice because at, at this point of time, there there are still there is still no clear career path if you want to uh, what we call uh, focus your data science um, career in health and medicine. So I, I think in a way it's good because you know you can uh, what we call um, strategize and and chart your own future rather than uh, following what people have uh, developed you know so yeah so but how, how about being a successful <laughs> epidemiologist what, 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 right. is the, what, is the, what is your principle or what is your motto like? right I, I think um, uh, to become an effective or successful epidemiologist you have to work with people other than your discipline so I, I need to work with you know people like UKH from computer science. I need to work with uh, people from uh, mathematics and statistics. Um, so I would say, 
if you want to be uh, effective or successful epidemiologist, you cannot run away from these two, two, two group of people, you know, computer scientists, mathematician, or statistician. Right? <laughs> so, uh, so I think that's that's a tip that I, I don't think you you'll find from textbook, lah. <laughs> <laughs> so you so even though epidemiology is very important, but one person cannot change the world. <laughs> yeah, you, true, true. You cannot, need to cannot. collaborate with many, many, many more talented, talented people to and to yeah, I I can't understand all the all the all the all the you know. Uh, the calculations for the, for deep learning, for example, how you calculate the weightage, how you calculate the loss function, everything right, and you people know much better than than me. Uh, but I know that you know. Uh, but I can appreciate whether the models or the algorithm that you uh, produce would be good or not uh, when uh, in practice, really. So so that's that's why I say you know if you want to be an effective epidemiologist. Uh, you need to you know work closely with computer scientists definitely, and also mathematician or statistician. These three, this so these two people you cannot run away. You know? <laughs> and also, lastly, if you, if you want to see your work being implemented for the whole country, you need to work with the with the, with, with the audit audit regulator in in, in the in the in the government. <laughs> Correct, correct, and and uh, that's also very important. You have to make yourself visible. You have to, you have to communicate your findings. I think many people, uh, I think many people can do fancy models, fancy algorithm, but some of them are quite arrogant. You know, they say, "No, no I don't want." You know, this my model is very good. You know, nobody can criticize me. But you know, when you want to sell your model. You have to talk, talk to other people, and you have to understand your perspective, and you have to, uh, to, to act, to you know, to uh, to to accept your comments and to respond back. Uh, but I think if you if you are very good with with your models, you can do you can develop good algorithm. But if you don't communicate your findings, or if you don't have good storytelling. <laughs> skill is very difficult to uh, you know to it means that the model will stay behind with you lah you know yep you know? so I so, think this is the typical researcher problem also and a lot of researchers like to write a lot of research but it's just a research in the paper but nobody reads your paper then nobody knows nobody knows how, what, how good is your model and also to be a good data scientist again again we tell people that storytelling and communication is very important. You can build a very fancy, complicated model with very complicated mathematics, but if nobody understands it, and you cannot, if, if you didn't uh, communicate well your model to people, then it will not go far. <laughs> correct, correct. Yeah, that's very true, yes. Okay. <laughs> so thank you very much, Dr. Kim. I think we have a very fruitful and interesting uh, conversation today. Hopefully, I think... Uh, uh, the listener will have a good understanding what is epidemiology, what is biosciences, and then uh, how to actually you know get themselves started if they want to uh, to you know to to be a good uh, epidemiologist or learn to be an epidemiologist. What are the paths they can take? So thank you very much for your for your for your time to be a guest today. Yeah, thank you, Kesh, for inviting me. So uh, it is a pleasure talking to you, and and I must say what you uh, must say that what you are doing, I think, is very very important to to what we call to encourage more people uh, 
to take up data science or you know AI. So um, I'm I'm I applaud what you are doing, and I hope you can continue doing this uh, very very uh, good work in future. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank bye you, Kesh. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to help support the podcast, please share with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify Podcasts. If you have any comments or recommendations, I would be glad to receive your voice messages. Send me your voice messages via the link in the show notes. To catch all latest episodes, you can follow this show on our website www.aimldatatalks.com or our social media such as Instagram or Twitter with the handler at AIMLDataTalks. Thanks again. I will see you next time.